Thank you to Sideways 8 for sponsoring this podcast. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Even though you can't change your genetic makeup, knowing your family health history may help you understand the personal risk of developing any kind of health concerns. Today, we'll learn about how to better understand your family history and how they impact your risk factors. We will also talk about how to talk with your doctor and how to make better informed choices. We're going to help empower you to take an active role in decision-making about your health. To help us learn how to better understand our family health history, which helps us better understand our health risks, let me introduce Dr. Rabina Smith. Dr. Smith is the Medical Director and Principal Investigator at WCCT Global Oncology. Dr. Smith is a fellowship-trained breast cancer surgeon and a leading expert in the field of breast oncology specializing in hereditary cancer and genetics, as well as high-risk breast screening. Dr. Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, your, your credentials are, are genuinely impressive, as well as uh, hard to pronounce when you're reading them out loud, and uh, <laughs> which makes them even more impressive. So uh, I, I really Thank appreciate you. you being here and and just talking to us about you know the the family risk, which I think is such an important thing, right? Um, yes. So so let's just let's dive in. Um, why is it important for for everyone, but in particular women in, in related to breast cancer? Why is it important to understand? your family history, your family health history? Because what we think about cancer is that it by itself is a risk that everyone has, no matter the cancer, no matter where it's coming from. Specifically for breast cancer, if you're a woman and a man, because men do get breast cancer, you have a lifetime risk that's inherent to you when you're born. I would tell my patients that when you're born, you have this risk that comes with you and stays with you until we leave this earth. That's the average risk that everyone has. So if you're a woman and you have breast and you live long, I think we're living as long as 85 or so, if not longer, we're bound to be exposed to things that cause these genetic changes within our normal cells that turn into cancer. That's the average risk. And so most of our screening recommendations and guidelines are geared towards the average risk. So the average lifetime risk for a woman with breast cancer, depending on her ethnicity, is anywhere from a 9 to a 12% chance risk, right? So that's very, very low. Right. You think if I go if I go to Vegas and I do the if I do the roulette, do I have a 12 percent risk of winning? I don't know if I want to part with my money, but it's a low risk. Right. Now, there are people, though, who based on their family's genetic genes that are passed down from generation to generation, both from mom and dad side, their risk may be deemed to be moderate to high, meaning They are beyond the average risk. And in order for us to identify them and to screen them appropriately or offer them preventative treatment appropriately, we have to be able to say, okay, what is your risk? How do we calculate it? And we start to ask questions about the family. What genes or genetic mutations can be passed down from generation to generation that can change your average risk to a higher risk? Okay. And when you say higher risk, you know, you just mentioned average risk is, I think you said nine to 12%. When you say higher risk, what does that mean exactly? So for example, moderate risk can be anywhere between a 15 to a 20% risk of developing, let's say breast cancer. And then you have high risk, which could be anywhere from 20% and higher. Okay. For example, those who identify who have the 
genetic mutations associated with genes that function in terms of telling cancer cell or telling telling normal cells when to divide, when not to divide, uh, checkpoints for cells that may be turning into cancer. We call these oncotype genes or suppressor genes. If someone has these higher risk genes, such as our, most people have heard of BRCA1 and 2, although we have others, their risk can be as high as 40 to 60 percent, if not even higher than that. Wow. So, yeah. So when we say high risk, we're talking everyone has the average. There are those that may not have these genetic family history uh, uh, genes that we see passed down from generation to generation that and, and for a higher risk, such as BRCA1 and 2. Right. They may have some breast changes. They may have some other things uh, within them that, give, that will dictate that they're a moderate risk, 15 to 20%, and maybe we can offer specialized addition to their normal annual screening. And then those who are in the highest risk or the higher group, that will be the group that we may be considering things like preventative of treatment and prophylactic or removal of possible natural uh, organs that has not yet developed cancer, but the risk is so high, one may want to look at that as a preventative step. Okay. Yeah. That, and that makes perfect sense. Thank you for, for, for giving me that information. And so how would, you know, what are, are there some tools that are available to start to learn about family health history? Yeah. So the first tool I, I try to empower all women is first, Talk to your family. We don't sit around normally at, at family gatherings, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's because these are joyful occasions and the bar mitzvahs and, and births and things of that sort. And when we really have the collective family together, we don't take that opportunity and that time to ask questions about who has di- who was diagnosed with what in the family? What did grandma have? What did auntie die of? Both mom and dad's side. The misconception is we should only ask questions about what happens on mom's side. We get the genetic makeup from our mom and our dad. So genes are passed down to us from both sides of the family. So that first tool would be engaging in a conversation with your family to understand who had what, if they had cancer, what age were they? It's very important to understand because as I alluded to earlier, the longer we live on this earth, we are exposed to God knows what kind of chemicals and things that can cause changes in ourselves. Uh, Some things we identify, some things we haven't. So the longer that we're here, we're more exposed. So when we see cancer, specifically things like breast and ovarian in young women, women under 40, We start to ask our questions, okay, you haven't been living long enough, okay, on this earth to be exposed to so much, right? As someone who is, the average age is around 60 for uh, Caucasian women and around 56 for African-American women, right? So you say, okay, if you're, you're, you're 30 and you're 20 and you have breast cancer, the first thing we're saying is, okay, it's not because you were here long enough. You are a woman, you have breasts, you have the first risk factor. The second is, is age, living longer. You don't have that. So what else could be contributing? So you start to ask the questions in the family, what cancer did, did so-and-so have? And both mom and dad and male and female, okay, you can ask about uncle and, co- and male cousins and, and your father. Right. What age were they? Was it, oh, grandma had breast cancer and she died. Okay, well, how old was she? Oh, she was 85. Okay, that is the average risk cancer that she lived 85. She had, she had two risk factors. She was a woman with breast and she lived to 85. Right. Those are the things that, that we can't change. Uh, but you want to know how old they were. Then you want to know if there were multiple women within the same generation. So if you say if grandma had it and, and then her sister had it, so my great aunt had it, and then her great aunt had it, and then her brother had it. And it's not specifically just for breasts. 
what we know about hereditary cancers is that there's some cancers that like to roll together, if you will. Uh, for example, breast and ovarian cancers. We do, if we see in a family or in an individual who has breast and ovarian cancer, we're saying, okay, these are two cancers that usually on their own are separate, but if they come together, if we see them in a family or there's this, this unusual family history of these cancers that are you know, that my aunt had breast cancer and she was young and then her sister had ovarian cancer and she was young and then her brother had prostate cancer and he was young. These are the things that spark an interest for us as physicians to say, there's something, there may be something in your family as to why you may have breast cancer or have been diagnosed just recently, or your risk may be higher that mammograms every one to two years and clinical breast exams by a doctor every year may not be sufficient. So right. the first tool is engaging a conversation with family, okay. asking the questions. After you do that, the second tool would be to use tools that kind of help you understand where your risk might be. So let's say you've done your first homework assignment, you used the first tool, you've asked the questions, you found out you have some people in the family with some cancers. You can go to specific websites, such as Susan G. Coleman has a website, where you can go to their family history tool that allows you to put in that same information that I just asked you to glean from your family. Who had what? Was it a mom's side? Was it dad's side? First generation, second generation? What was it that they had? Mm -hmm. What was their age? Mm -hmm. And that this is kind of a, a, a rough informative. It's not necessarily absolute. These tools are designed for everyone to kind of go and I get an idea. Should I be concerned? Because okay. the next step, the next tool would be to then talk with your physician there are physicians who are who specialize in hereditary cancer and genetics. They're called geneticists. You don't necessarily need to see them. Initially, you can talk to your primary doctor, your family doctor, your internist. There are tools that are out there for us physicians where we actually, they're models, where we actually can dive into things such as if you've had any biopsies with any high-risk lesions and you know whether or not you took hormone replacement therapy for a certain amount of years. So there's kind of like a tier system, if you will. Uh, and it's very important for people to know that. Right. So it sounds like step one is talk to your family. Step two is, you know, take that information and go to Coleman's website and look at the, the, uh, it's almost like a, like a risk calculator, right? It is. It yeah. is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and plug that information in and see like, is there, is there significant cause for concern? And then take those results to your physician. You said primary physician, internist, you know, take yep. those results AMG, to your physician. Yep. OBGYN, any, any physician that you see like on a regular basis. And then have them sort of take take it into their tool, which is more advanced than the tool that we would have access to is, is sort of average, average non-medical uh, personnel, right? <laughs> That's correct. That's actually correct. Yes, yes, yes. And it's very helpful. It's very helpful because when you go in with your homework assignments, so you've gone through those two first steps, you're going to have a better informative, engaged conversation with your doctor then if you just walk in and say, am I high risk? And they'll say, okay, so tell me about the family. You'll be like, uh, uh, oh, my grandmother had cancer. Okay, great. How old was she? Uh, okay, that's not going to be a helpful conversation. Yeah. Right? So the, the conversations that are very helpful and empowering are, th are those when the patient comes in and they have questions uh, that they are ready to ask and the conversation is back and forth. Right. It's an interactive discussion instead of being a one-way conversation, if you will. Those are the best kinds. You'll say, I, I polled my family and I took that information and I plugged it in and this is the information that it gave me. And I'm ready to now talk with you about this information 
and and what your what are your thoughts on it versus coming in and saying I think I am I am I I want an MRI be, I I want an MRI because I'm concerned I may right. be high risk and they'll say well where is your concern coming from I don't know I saw it on the TV I love seeing this from your perspective as a doctor. Like it's so, like I can tell that you've had these conversations and that yes. you're very passionate about people that come in already prepared, already having done their homework and they understand at least preliminarily what their risk factors are and that seems very very important to me. Exactly. It is because misconceptions are unfortunately a big roadblock to being healthy taking the appropriate, the person taking ownership themselves on doing what's a responsible thing to do, which is to do your screening and see your doctor and your annual checkups. And what happens is because some people say, well, there's no one in my family who has breast cancer, so I don't need to ask. I don't need to do your tool. Thank you very much, Dr. Smith. I don't even need a mammogram. Biggest myth. I started off this, this conversation by saying the two biggest risk factors for the average risk. That means every woman who is born Every woman who is born, is born, unless you have some kind of genetic anomaly, with the genetic uh, makeup of breast development at puberty. Right. And the hormones that come with it. And the hormonal changes, the cells in our breasts are sensitive to the hormones. And the things that we go through through our lifetime, our breasts are constantly changing, the hormone levels are constantly changing to our life until we hit menopause. Then after menopause, we, uh, you know, we go through a different set of changes, but we live our lives. So and I used to tell my patients, unless you have a fountain of youth and you're not going to get older. And I mean, you know, having breasts, yes, there are some things one can do about it, but we're not going to talk about that here. But you right. were born a woman, right? So right. you are born with the risk factor of breast cancer by having breasts naturally. Yeah. And if you plan on living longer, you have that risk, regardless of who is in your family. And even to go back to your original point earlier in this conversation, you said, you know, it's a nine to 12 percent risk factor. And would you go to Vegas if you're only going to win, you know, nine to 12 percent of the time? The answer is, well, that's kind of scary if you're putting your money on the line. But when you when you flip that and say, well, it's my life on the line and there's a nine, like then it becomes, oh, well, that's actually right. a pretty significant number. When you're talking right. double digit risk related to your life, yes. that's a big deal. It is. And and my analogy was not to diminish the importance or the the seriousness of that small risk between nine and 12 percent. My that analogy is to say every woman has that risk. Yeah, right. We have a great guideline for that. We know that getting your mammogram uh, when you do your clinical breast exams, when you yourself check your own breast, just know that as long as you adhere to the guideline that we've had for decades for an average risk woman, that we even if, God forbid, cancer does develop, we catch them early enough that they're curable. That's the importance about the average risk is that if you do your part and we do our part and if it happens it can be a curable situation. There are more women survivors now than ever before That's right. because of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think that's great. And it's worth having those conversations because every woman is at risk and every woman needs to have those conversations. That's correct. That's correct. I love that and, message. And men as well. I, I don't want to negate the men. So 1% of men uh, will develop breast cancer. It's not as high as women. So therefore we don't actually have guidelines for screening for men. Uh, and men do have a little bit of breast tissue, believe it or not, right behind the nipple and areola area. Uh, it, it's the same, almost the same anatomical breast tissue as women, except they don't have the components that makes milk. And they have very little amount of estrogen, but they do have some estrogen in their body that can stimulate 
those cells and they are exposed to the same risk factors as we are. Right. Um, but it's e- it's a little bit easier for men because a subtle change within that small amount of tissue is recognizable uh, on an exam or or, or just uh, just when guys take a shower or usually in my in my practice most of the time it's their significant other that says hey what is this you know what is this lump. Yeah. Right. So uh, men as well can also pass down if there's a genetic component to a risk factor, they can pass it down to their daughters mm-hmm. and they can pass it to their sons who can have daughters. So don't negate asking uh, our, our the male uh, counterparts in the family as well about breast cancer, prostate cancer. Again, I talked about cancers that kind of run together, right? Right. Prostate cancer is linked with a genetic mutation with uh, a mutation that's linked with breast cancer, pancreatic cancer as well, colon cancer as well. So we need to ask about all these, just say who had what cancer. Right. Don't just limit it to necessarily just breast. Because if you just ask for breasts, we might be missing women who have ovarian cancer uh, and women who had colon cancer very young. And so these cancers tend to be like uh, they run in clusters mm. and, and they're rare uh, to see them in uh, multiple family trees. Mm. So it's important to ask just who had what cancer, right. what age, what generation was it? And that's the information that's important for the first assignment, which is the first homework tool. That's great. Well, Dr. Smith, this has been so great. I love your passion. Thank I can tell you. you have a passion for people and for your patients. I, I love you. that. Uh, one last, just quick question. Uh, sure. If someone is at higher risk, what do you recommend is, is their next steps right now? So uh, if we're assuming that they've had the conversation with their physician and they're high risk, mm-hmm. so what, what happens is that physician, depending on their level of understanding of high risk screening, they will either, they'll know what to do in terms of educate you and say, listen, uh, your risk is high enough that it will be improved by your insurance company that we need to incorporate having MRIs as part of your annual screening. So you will still have your mammogram, uh, maybe even have an ultrasound. And what it is, it's really looking a little bit more closer and a little bit more fine toothed comb for those risks who are higher than average. For an average risk woman who may not have extremely dense breasts, and that's another topic we can talk about another day, breast density, uh, and how that affects mammograms. But mammograms by far, so far, have been the best screening tool that we have on a every year or every two year basis of just checking for signs to see if something's there, okay? Now, There are times when we might decide in a high risk that uh, based on breast density or some other things, maybe we'll do a mammogram uh, and then do an ultrasound. So maybe we'll stagger it. Six months, you do a mammogram at the beginning of the year and ultrasound at the end of the year or something like that. Um, And so the doctor themselves, depending on their level of understanding, may already have that that kind of uh, set up in their practice where they'll automatically do it. Maybe they will refer you to a breast specialist. Like for example, for me, uh, I had patients referred to me who did not have anything going on in the breast, but because it was identified they were high risk. They came to me so I can evaluate them and then I incorporated them into my high risk screening clinic. So I had women coming to me just for clinical breast exams every six months, just to have their mammogram and ultrasound reviewed by me, just to have their MRIs reviewed by me to update the family history to find out uh, since the last time I saw you, has anybody else been diagnosed with cancer? And they were in a high risk screening program. So the, the doctor themselves will determine if you will stay with them for that, or you'll be referred to a specialist or you'll be referred to a geneticist. The best thing at that point in time is to ask the doctor, what's the plan? Even as far as chemo prevention or preventative treatments, where we may either offer a medication to reduce one's risk, 
of developing cancer in the breast. It doesn't make it zero because remember she's a woman and she's getting older, so we can't right. make it what we can't make it what it was after she was born. Right. right? Right. But we can reduce if let's say their risk is 60 percent. If they take a particular uh, medication, a chemo preventative medication, that may reduce that 60 back down to a more reasonable like 15 percent or 20 percent range. Right. Uh, then there's women who may be offered uh, removal of their breast, let's say, for those who are extreme risk or those who are at risk for ovarian cancer, removing the organs themselves because the risk is so high that that may be an option for them to reduce the risk as low as possible. But those are the kind of conversations that one will have with a specialist. Okay. Well, wow. Dr. Smith, this was so, so great. Uh, I really, really appreciate your, your passion and your Thank information. You. Uh, it's, it's really, really great. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Adam. This has been great. I look forward to possibly doing more with you and educating everyone because this is really one of my passions. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely plan that. And, uh, and right. for those that are listening, if you're interested in becoming more involved in the fight against breast cancer, visit Komen.org, connect with your local Susan G. Komen affiliate, or make sure to walk with us at an upcoming Susan G. Komen event in your area. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.coman.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit coman.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com. Thank you to Sideways 8 for sponsoring this podcast. We all want to break through the noise on the internet and stand out. Sideways 8 is a digital agency on a mission to improve communication through marketing. Whether they're working with tech companies or national nonprofits, Sideways 8 helps you showcase your value while making it easy for people to find you. Sideways 8 services include website design and development, website care plans, digital marketing strategy, branding and messaging, SEO, pay-per-click advertising, and more. To learn more about highlighting the work your organization is doing, head to sideways8.com slash Komen. That's S-I-D-E-W-A-Y-S, the number 8, dot com slash Komen.